And now it's time for the biggest bonanza on Blaze Radio. Live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. Welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza. We're back. We're live. And we are gearing up towards the final few weeks of the conference regular season. No, we're really not even halfway into that. My name's Nicholas Sodell, Nick Canelius alongside me. Good to finally be back in the Bill Austin Radio Studio with you, my man. Oh my gosh, it just feels amazing just to be back sitting here uh, in this studio. Man, it's it's my natural habitat, really. Yeah, we are so happy to be back. And one fan base who may not be too happy right now is the fan base of the Kansas Jayhawks. A two loss a week for the Jayhawks, our top story on this Sunday's show. It was a close overtime loss for them at Kansas State in the midweek, which really didn't raise the alarm bells too much, I would say, but it was a really tough night at home against TCU following that. 23 points, the margin of loss for the Kansas Jayhawks. This was it was quite an interesting game. I mean, the scouting report would not have predicted a 53% shooting night from deep from the TCU Horn Fogs. Only the fourth time they've shot over 50% from the deep this year. Only the eighth time they shot above 30% for the year. So, very interesting stuff there. Jalen Wilson was fantastic for, for the Jayhawks with 30 points and 7 rebounds on Saturday. McCord was the next leading scorer with 10 and 4 rebounds for him. Really one of those games that really exemplifies the issues with the Jayhawks perfectly in my mind, Nick, that Jalen Wilson himself, he is fantastic. But everyone else around him really needs to step up their game. I mean, yeah, Wilson played absolutely out of his mind against Kansas State. You know, 38 rebounds, nine, or 38 points, 9 rebounds. He played every single minute, all 40 minutes of regulation, plus the 5 in overtime. And it just felt like the, the support really wasn't there. I mean, KJ Adams Jr. provided good support. He was 6 for 6 from the field. Did lack a bit from the free throw line. Um, but outside of that, really, I mean... It, it was a lot of inconsistencies. It was a lot of inefficiency um, from the other team members like Grady Dick, who's been, we know, you know, one of the best freshmen uh, so far this year. He shot four for 13. No one else really hit more than two shots. But Kansas State was hitting their shots. You know, they went seven for 17 from three. Um, not a lot of threes, but, you know, when you make them at that sort of rate, it's kind of hard to bounce back from that. Um and those types of games really end up in a shootout, and Kansas really wasn't able to keep up with that type of shootout. I mean, Jalen Wilson, of course, he shot 10 threes, made three of them, um, but he was doing all that he could, and it's really kind of cementing this idea that Jalen Wilson, um, while being one of the most premier players in the country, it's becoming hard for him to sort of carry this team that has been kind of letting him down. Yeah, and even then, only 30% from three, as a t for an individual, I mean, I'm only adding on to the, really this team's issues of, you know, you have one guy who's performing so well, and Grady Dick and KJ Adams both played well in that game as well. Dick with 16, Adams with 17. Not taking anything away from them, but the rest of the team combined, I'm just doing some quick math, 3, 6, 11 points for the rest of the team. I mean, not saying that it's a three, not saying that you can have three main contributors and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but in close overtime games like that, that's when things should start getting interesting. And not to take away from Dewan Harris either. He had 11 assists of four turnovers. So he also was, even though he didn't quite score the ball very much, he was a really good distributor in this game. 
And then against TCU, I mean, this thing went off the rails so fast. I mean, Kansas clawed their way back, and that was only because of Jalen Wilson. And then TCU just went back to its usual mode, and that was it. It was over. I mean, this, this was, for TCU, a stunning performance. It's a performance that should put them in the top 10 of this country, even after the loss to West Virginia. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that one was neck and neck for the first maybe like five minutes of the game, but then it was a it was an 18 to two run for TCU in the first half that really blew that game wide open. And you know, it, it's it's of course a great testament to TCU's abilities. Of course, putting up 83 uh, points on one of the best teams in the country is impressive, but it was still a lot of those shooting struggles from Kansas. I mean, they shot 39 percent from just the field, let alone that seven for 21 from three. They were getting a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities, but they weren't necessarily taking advantage of those. Jalen Wilson, he had 30 points. Amazing performance from him, of course. That's just what you've become accustomed to seeing. But you go down this roster, and it's it's once again not a lot of support. KJ Adams only put up four in this one. He put up six shots, only hitting one of them. Uh, Grady Dick with eight points. Kevin McCuller. He did have a good performance as a support player. He went five for six. That's kind of what you want to expect from him. That's something you want to see more often. Um, but it just seemed like nobody else on this Kansas team was really giving that sort of support. Nobody else besides Wilson, Grady Dick, and Kevin McCuller hit more than a single shot. Yeah, this is just one of those things. And this even exemplified the problem further. I mean, at least against Kansas State, you had Dick performing really well with his 16, like we mentioned before, and you had it also a third contributor. Now we're at the point to where it's only the one guy really doing a lot of your work, and that'll never work in college basketball. You will never, ever win games at a competitive conference like the Big 12 Conference if you only have one main contributor, and everyone else is just barely in support. That'll never work in a highly competitive conference. Kansas learned that the hard way, though really, I mean, they could not have accounted for TCU shooting their best night from three. As I think it was one of the halftime guys at CBS, the poor guy who made the scouting report, they couldn't have planned for that. I mean, I mean and, and that's also kind of a problem when you're letting one of the worst three-point shooting teams, really in all power conference basketball, do that to you at your home floor. That's, that, that should be concerning a little bit. And for the Kansas Jayhawks, they're not going to far too far down the seat list, I would imagine. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But to me, this team is so far away from being a national championship team. Now, there is absolute parity in this sport, so we're not saying that Kansas is too far away. But you look at the analytics and Ken Palm, 20th in offensive efficiency, 19th in defensive efficiency, 21st now in offensive efficiency. To me, the mark is usually top 10 in both. And they are far away from that in both areas. And to me, that is a very huge sign of concern for this Kansas program if they want national championship ambition to defend their title. Right now, the analytics of their ninth overall in Kempon, they are not showing the goods for this Jayhawk team. Oh, absolutely. And when you base your system around a sole player, um, it doesn't just have to be Jalen Wilson. When you base it around one player and kind of just fill in the rest of the pieces, which of course isn't how this team was built going into the season, there was a lot of expectations for those um, support, support players. But as it's been turning out to be, 
if it's just Wilson and then maybe a couple other players putting up eight points per game, that's not going to impress the analytics, which has been, you know, the net has been a very driving factor in the last couple of years, especially figuring out March seeding, all of that. Um, but more importantly, that doesn't necessarily win you games, especially big games like their conference games they've been playing in the Big 12, the premier conference in college basketball. It's just not a system that's been working well for them. And it's not like it's it's a coaching issue. Um, it's it's not that they could maybe maybe change some game planning. It's just it's hard to find a a consistent third option really for them. I mean, Grady Dick's been pretty consistent but then it's you know kevin mcculler will go off for you know have a decent game kj adams will but it's you don't have that peace of mind really when you're looking at this team and you're looking at who are who's going to show up every night that's not something you have yeah and i mean this goes back to kind of problems they had in atlantis at a, at a certain point remember the loss to tennessee i mean wilson had 14 the rest of the starters didn't really do all that much, and it took Joseph Yosefu, remember him and his performance in Atlantis? I mean, he had 14 in that game, had some huge shots in that tournament, and really ever since, he has just kind of been here and there, but not nothing too crazy. So, I mean, it may take a guy like him, someone off the bench, uh, to really kickstart this program to get a consistent six-man in there, but right now, it's not really there, and it's only going to get tougher for Kansas at this current state. I'm not terribly concerned about Kansas, but I am concerned for their national championship hopes. I mean, they're going to figure it out quickly, though, and we're going to really see just their attrition. I mean, they don't play a team outside the Ken Palm Top 50 until February 28th. I mean, they're playing quad one games the whole way except for that game, so a lot of quality wins left out there in a lot of time. Meanwhile, the top of the sport outside of Alabama and Purdue, it is pure chaos. With Kansas taking a couple losses this week. Houston going down earlier today to Temple. We both didn't see that one coming. And so now you group Kansas and Houston in with teams like Virginia, Tennessee, Arizona, even a Kansas State, a UCLA, in this conversation of really deserving that number three and number four spot. Not necessarily within rankings, but really within who deserves to be on the one line right now. And if you look at the analytics, it's a clear choice of Tennessee. It's a very clear choice. Not a lot of quad one wins, though, of only three. And ranking this week, I really thought Tennessee and Virginia, obviously winning both their, both their games, that really helps in a sport like this where there is all kinds of parity. They shot up my rankings this week, and I know we were talking about it earlier, and I think Tennessee's also your choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do just have to love Tennessee so far. Um, the, resumes, the resume has been great. They've been doing great analytically, um, and they've been pretty much on a tear um, since mid-December when they took that loss to Arizona. It really seemed like they learned from that. Um, the only loss since then uh, has been a, a, a quadrant two loss to Kentucky. Um, but they've been red hot. They've been blowing teams out. They've been performing really well. Um, and Tennessee's just been absolutely impressive. I mean, there's no question in my mind that they deserve to be the number four team in the country on the AP polls. Now, there's a couple other teams that I feel like you could argue for. Um, I'm just going to go into one of them right now being UCLA. They sit fourth in Kempom, fifth in net. Um, and their only losses do come in the quad in quadrant one. I mean, four and three in there, but otherwise they've been getting it done. Um, they had their loss the other night or last night actually 
um, at Arizona. But, you know, that is a tough environment to go to, into, the McHale Center down in Tucson. Um, but besides that, they have been such a solid team um, that I think if Tennessee wasn't so red hot right now, UCLA absolutely deserves that right. But you can't argue the Volunteers. Yeah, and I mean, for UCLA, I mean, that was an ugly that was an <laughs> ugly offensive performance. I mean, they did some things to try to get themselves really back into uh, the conversation there of that game, and they did a good job limiting the damage and the margin of loss. Uh, but their elements are great. They have they have a good amount of Q1 wins, so you're absolutely right in that conversation. Head-to-head's going to come up, and that's where Arizona comes into play, in my opinion. Analytically, as far as Ned and Ken Palm, not so great, but they have now six quad one wins. Their combined Q1 and Q2 record is 8-3. and three. They have done very well up to this point. And the number of Q1 wins, I think, is really going to speak volumes about that team at this point as well. And, I mean, even for a team like Kansas, I mean, as far as the seed line is concerned, they may not drop too far at all. I mean, they may still be in that top four right now as far as trying to get that number one seed. They will not be in the top four come the AP poll on Monday, and they're not they're nowhere near my top four right now, but they are a combined 11-3 and three in the top two quadrants, and they're going to have Q1s and 2s so the rest of the way, 1Q2, everything else Q1. I mean, you're looking at a Kansas program who very well could have about 10, not even 10, like 12 to 15 Q1 wins by the time it's all said and done. I mean, they're building a resume right now that, I mean, as we talked last week, there was a breakaway top four at that point with Bama, Purdue, Houston, Kansas. Houston's breaking off, but I think Tennessee is still right there in it. I mean, of those two, we're probably looking at Tennessee and Kansas. And I say Kansas because of the volume of Q1 wins. I mean, just look at the rest of the teams we're comparing here. Virginia has three. Tennessee has three. The great metrics really overriding that. Kansas State has five. UCLA has four. Arizona, six. I mean, Kansas takes the cake. Games played in Q1, wins in Q1. And I think it's going to make a big difference. And they're going to improve over time as far as that is considered. As far as Virginia is concerned, they're an interesting one to me. They're a team that makes my personal top five uh, this week, uh, my top 25. Uh, but for really for you, the Virginia Cavaliers, what do you think they need to do in order to work their way up onto the one line? Well, it's kind of difficult because the, in the conference that they're in, uh, being the ACC, it's not that sort of competition that you see uh, really with a lot of these Big 12 schools, uh, notably, you know, Kansas. I think Texas also has um, a pretty good shot. I'll talk a little bit about them later. But Virginia really doesn't have that. I mean, their next game being a quadrant four game against Boston College, then you you really only have three more quad one teams, three more two. You have more quadrant four teams than anything else. Um, it's it's kind of hard at this point for them to really um, separate themselves from the pack just because their strength of schedule. I mean, they've done very well um, in this recent stretch, but you know, it's against one quadrant one team, and that's Wake Forest. I mean, in in their last three before that, they were all losses. So it's kind of difficult for Virginia to really um, be able to take advantage of that sort of thing. I think uh, it all comes down to a a big performance going into Syracuse next Monday. Um, after that, they face off against Virginia Tech. I think those back-to-back games right there um, are 
are games that they really have to to make their their kind of their point present um for me at least i i i have a bit of questions for this virginia team yeah and the strength for the acc is going to cost them i think i mean you're looking at a team 15 and 3 right now 13 from the net I mean, they really don't have a margin of error if they want to be on the, on the one line uh, come Selection Sunday. And, and that's a really big deal with, with the Cavaliers right now. I love what they're doing personally. I think they will win the ACC regular season championship. But to climb your way on that one line, it's going to take a lot of work. I mean, you mentioned the Q4 they have left. I mean, they are just, they are walking traps Really. I mean, if you lose one of those games, forget the one line. You'll have a tough time making the two line, quite honestly, that key one, because that's going to stand out that really, like, like a pimple on a good face. And that's going to stand out so, so much. And that, that's where that really is concerning me. And, of course, they take a Q4. Your net's going to drop like a fly. Your Kempon's going to drop like a fly. Not that that matters too much anymore, uh, but that's just the, the reality of things. And that's going to be a really disastrous scene for Virginia if they really fall in one of those games. Uh, and, and we also mentioned Houston in this conversation as well. They're going to drop from their top spot in the net. They did not drop off from their top spot in the Kempon. Interesting enough, though, that margin has gone down quite a bit. And that Q3 loss today... Against Tempo goes on the resume. Only three Q1 wins, uh, five Q2s, and just looking over your shoulder, there's a lot of Q3s left uh, for Houston. There are not a lot of opportunities for quality wins. And obviously, the volume of wins will take care of itself. I mean, if they, I mean, if they went out, I mean, the conversation's kind of mute. They'll, they'll be just fine as far as trying to get on the one line. But... Just where do you think that margin of area is right now for Houston to try to get back onto the one line? Oh, it's very slim. I mean, your your two remaining Quadrant 1 games are this Wednesday at UCF and then your last game of the season at Memphis. It's really it's really starting to become questionable. I mean, you see all of these these games coming up in this American Conference, which we discussed a lot about uh, last week, is becoming you know weaker and weaker, especially with Houston leaving next year. But you know that's out of the conversation right now. They have to focus on getting solid wins with these Q3 games coming up after UCF. Um, their game at UCF, they have three quadrant three games and then a quadrant four. It's it's they're not really getting put into a in a position to impress. This is very reminiscent of this Virginia schedule. Um, and except less quadrant four teams, there's more teams of around that middle average kind of level. Um, but they really have to impress in those games. UCF, you have to go into Central Florida and get a big statement win. Um, and then against you know Cincinnati, Wichita State, and then returning back, going to Temple, you really have to impress. And I, I'm sure of this Houston team. I mean, their analytics, them drop not dropping from Ken Palm number one. If that gives you any idea, they are a very strong team. I don't expect them to wary in these games, but that's just something you have to be wary of. Yeah, and Houston is still my number three. I, I, and as far as my rankings are concerned, I would not put them on the one line right now. Let's make that perfectly clear. That Q3 loss pretty much ruins it for them as far as that's concerned. But ranking a top 25 in my mind very different from ranking resumes. And I still believe in Houston. I still think they're a darn good team. Thinking about everything that you can to lose a game like that. So that's perfect. That is on them. That loss is on them. No question about it. But I absolutely don't believe that Houston is a top team in this country right now. 
And I think they're going to go back to improving them. I mean, the, the game Wednesday at UCF, that's a big one for them. That's one of their two Q1s left. That's a big opportunity for them to get right back on track, not only, but get back in the win column in the first quadrant. So, so much on the line for Houston. I still believe in them, though. Let's move on back over to the ACC and talk about two of the blue bloods of this sport, Duke and North Carolina. Both these teams had some very solid weeks. Duke, a very close win on Saturday against Miami at home. Really hard-fought game. Duke absolutely had to win this game. Really well played from Miami. Now, 29th in the net, 14-5, three Q1 wins, so a losing record there, 2-0 in Q2, 9-0 in the bottom two quadrants combined. Meanwhile, North Carolina, 2-0 this week. A closer than win than I would have played against Boston College. They had control of the first half. Boston College stormed back in that game. Uh, UNC on Saturday against North Carolina State. Really controlled back against them most of the second half. Really unfortunate injury to carry on Smith. Looks like he's going to be at least somewhat okay. And that's fantastic to hear. That was a really bad scene there in Chapel Hill, him getting structured off the floor. But we're thankful that it looks like he's going to be okay. Uh, not... Not, not as bad as it looked uh, on that floor. And North Carolina now 32nd in the net, 14-6. and six. Only one Q1 win. That's a huge concern right now for them. 1-6 there, but they're 4-0 in the second quadrant, 9-0 in the bottom two quadrants. I'll let you start off with really any of those two teams, Duke and North Carolina. Um, let's just go ahead and start with Duke since they've only played the one game this week, that win against Miami. Uh, really the only critical game in that early time slot in that for us here in Arizona, that 10 a.m. time slot, I was impressed. I mean, this is a Miami team that was not going to let Duke win this thing easily. I mean, they played their butts off at Canberra and Indoor, and Miami learned the lesson that so many others learned in that it is so difficult to win in Durham. Oh, absolutely. Um, it was just it was a good performance from them. Uh, you had multiple different players coming in with double digits. Uh, you look at a great performance from Filipowski, as you get gotten accustomed to from seeing this season. Um, but you know, you had you had Derek Whitehead with ten, uh, Jeremy Roach with fourteen off the bench, and you even had Tyrese Proctor coming up with eleven. I mean, it was just um, a really good performance from their team. They shot really well, forty-three uh, percent from behind the arc, forty-four rebounds. Um, their assist to turnover ratio was great, nineteen assists to ten turnovers. And you know, a couple weeks ago, I kept driving that point in that Duke is a very, very susceptible team to turning the ball over. I mean, they had one of the worst ratios in the country. Um, and this showing um, really, really gave me some faith um, in that with that plus their shooting. Um, it's really start looking like things are starting to turn around a bit for Duke. Um, obviously, I still do have questions. Um, as it, it looks like behind Kyle Filipowski, the second option kind of bounces back around. It's kind of a similar situation that you have in Kansas. Um, obviously, Filipowski isn't as you know dominant as a one option as Jalen Wilson, um, but I do have questions there. Um, they've been pretty solid in 2023 so far with only um, their loss before that Miami game to Clemson away. Um, but it looks like they're kind of starting to, starting to rise back up in that national convo. Obviously, as it sits right now, I wouldn't consider them to be a dangerous team in March. Um, but they have a workable schedule for the rest of the season. Um, four Quadrant 1 games and uh, five in the Quadrant 2. You have 
these situations you have opportunities to impress the country and if they're playing like they did against Miami I think they could absolutely charge back up to becoming a, a top 20 team in a couple weeks yeah and, and really this Duke team I mean I, I view them I mean they're freshmen that my game really mm-hmm. really solid I mean you mentioned Filipowski with 17 and 14 Derek Whitehead how about his shot to beat the shot clock buzz. I mean, that was unbelievable. I've had that clip though on our Twitter at College Bonanza right there. There you go. You can see that right there for yourself uh, for video podcast viewers over on Spotify. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're a really solid team right now, I feel like. Um, we'll, you'll hear my spot in the national conversation in a little bit. How about North Carolina, though? I've always liked this team. I've always thought they've had the talent. They need to fix that quad one issue in a hurry. That's the biggest thing for North Carolina. They have got to fix that. And unfortunately for them, the ACC does not have a lot of opportunities. If they have five games left, it's a lot of opportunities left for them to get those Q1 wins. Uh, but really, this week in particular, I thought it was a solid week. I mean, you would have liked to win against Boston College going away. I think that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, but for them against NC State, that second half I thought was really solid for them. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, just looking at how they've uh, how they've kind of progressed so far since they had a really... Uh, botched earlier part of the season, but they're in a much different spot from Duke as they've been five and one January so far. Um, they do have that loss at Virginia, which is a very very tough team. But you look at this team, Armando Baycott, he's unsurprisingly been leading the charge for them. R.J. Davis has been a really really good second option. I think that really separates them um, from Duke here. Is that R.J. Davis has been so solid for them. Um, behind Baycott, he's been averaging uh, nearly 17 points and an efficient 17 points. Um, you know, and they're sitting below Duke right now in the net, but I think that right now that this is a much, much better team um, than Duke. But, you know, my biggest question is how the Tar Heels have played um, under pressure. You saw earlier in the season in the MTEs where North Carolina lost neutral court games to Iowa State, Alabama. That kind of set them off course for a while. Um, and they're 0-4 against top 65 net teams on the road this season. You look at their loss against Indiana, Virginia Tech, Pitt, Virginia. The only away game they've won this year has been against a Louisville team, which, you know, as we know, has been one of the most embarrassing teams of the country. Um, you know, for North Carolina to convince me that they can work in March, uh, they need to win games. Like this one, they have... Um, this Tuesday at Syracuse. They need to win those sort of gritty, gritty games in those tougher environments um, to kind of get that chokehold on those Quadrant 1 wins. I mean, they're 1-6 in in Quadrant 1 games with five more opportunities remaining so far this season. Yeah, and the first of those opportunities? At Duke. At Duke. Next Saturday, February 4th. That is huge. What a game. That is going to be huge. (laughs) And really for both of these teams in my mind, uh, they are the first two teams out of my latest top 25. Uh, that's the reality of it. I had North Carolina 26 last week. They're 26 this week. Only because I still do not feel comfortable moving a 14-6 and six Carolina team into the 25. Um, for transparency, San Diego State is my 25th team in this week. Um, but they are playing really well. I mean, look, you look back at the grand scheme of things, I mean, I put five or six in the wins within the ACC play. They started this year five and four. I mean, the loss at Virginia Tech, everyone was raising the alarm bells like crazy. What they have done since then, they have won 10 of 12. I mean, I mean they have nine of 12, nine of 11, I should say. Pardon, pardon me. Nine of 11. They've done really well. 
and they should win 10 of 12. They should beat Syracuse on Tuesday on the road. I mean, I like the trajectory of this team. And we're and if we're sitting here next week talking about a 15 and 6 Carolina team, they're going to garner more AP votes. They may garner mine to get into the top 25. Which again, hope to be an AP vote post voter someday, about 20 years off down the line, but we're not there yet. This is only for fun right now, and for you to get more content from us. Again, da 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 da, right there at College Bonanza for us on our socials, and also mine. I hope sports. I'll post it sometimes too. Is there there as well? I real. I just think both of these teams need to keep on doing their thing right now. Winning is the best core for everything. We're still in middle to late January. So much can change. And I just think both of these teams still have sky-high potential. Every team in the country has that right now. It's just how well do you play against really your conference? And how do you take advantage of the quality games you have left? For North Carolina in Q1, that's five. For Duke, that's four. got to take care of business in those games, uh, at least to the best of your ability. You may not win all of them. Fine by me. But you got to pick up some of them, especially if you're North Carolina. You're not going to sniff a top seed line, and I'm talking like top four seed line within this case, if you're 1-11 in Q1. You will not sniff a top seed line there in that estimation. So you've really got to keep doing your thing. I mean, we've seen improvement in North Carolina. I expect that to continue. For a team like Duke, I mean, they have been stumbling a little bit in the conference. They've shown their good stuff, and they haven't shown their best stuff. I mean, just looking with at what they've done in 2023 for Duke, man, awful loss at Rowley, which historically, recent years, that's been a horrible place for Duke to play at. So can't really fault them much knowing that. But one point row win at Boston College, rut row, boy, was that problematic. And then you get that win against Pitt, you lose at Clemson, uh, but then you recover against Miami. I mean, they've been really rocky uh, so far to this point. So still a lot to be seen, but I do not feel comfortable right now putting them in my top 25. But they're close. They're both close. Let's take a break from resume talk and ranking talk with our weekly award segment. Yes, our typical segments are back here on the Bananas. We are live on Blaze for the first time in 2023. And it is a typical weekly awards. Our team of the week, player of the week, and indiv- or major, I should say, player of the or team of the week. Uh, my team of the week, Arizona, uh, 2-0 this week, a very comfortable win against USC, and I, when I thought it was a statement win, and home against UCLA on Saturday, we talked a little bit about that, that was not a good performance for UCLA offensively, Arizona did a fantastic job defensively, their big men performed really well, Tubulus and Bottolo, especially Tubulus, and this is a huge win for the entire Pac-12 title race, in my opinion. Yes, the Wildcats are still two games out of UCLA in the Pac-12 standings, but as I walked to the media room on Thursday after UCLA blew by Arizona State in the final six minutes after the Sun Devils gave UCLA everything they could handle for 34 minutes in a very raucous environment in Tempe, my thought was, oh my God, this regular season title race is over. UCLA is going to run away with this thing. I cannot say that right now because of what Arizona did. There's still a big gap. And UCLA is by far the favorite. But let's make one thing clear here. This is not going to be a runaway. Arizona is going to keep winning. They're going to just wait for UCLA to slip up, and they're going to try and pounce on it. And I think we're truly back now, even though it's still a very crowded race for second place. There's still five teams really in that mix, in my estimation. Arizona's the clear favorite for that second place position right now. It is very clear. And you should see UCLA 1, Arizona 2, 
when it comes down to the Pac-12 regular season standings when it gets done and in that first week of March for you. Uh, for my team of the week, I'm going to be going with the Kansas State Wildcats. I mean, what an OT thriller against Kansas, number two team in the country. Um, I, I think it, the way to really chalk up that performance um, was was the way that they were able to minimize the other options uh, for Kansas outside of Jalen Wilson. Um, you know, they, they held, um, you know, everybody outside of K.J. Adams and Grady Dick to a maximum of two field goals made. Um, and that sort of that sort of game plan, you know, they let Jalen Wilson kind of do whatever they wanted, but they came out with the win, such a big win um, at home. And this has been a red-hot Kansas State team, by the way. This is a team that is currently 10-0, and 0, uh, or 11-0, sorry, in Big 12 play. And, you know, this was a big week for them. Um, and the way that they were able to build off of that win – uh, with a solid, solid uh, quadrant two win over the over Texas Tech, um, and just you know more great performances from Keontae Johnson, um, more great performances from other players on that squad, um, like Marquise Noel, uh, like Desi Saws. I'm really, really liking this Kansas State team, and it's it's less of they had a you know Arizona had a had a great week, but. Can't their their win over Kansas the way that they've been able to uh, keep their momentum going through this Big Twelve conference? That was what what pushed them over the edge for me. It's because the fact they are in this this gauntlet of a conference. That's that's what separates them. Yeah, I mean, you, even for Texas Tech and the flip side, of that I'm really worried for them. I mean, I mean, I figured there'd be about two or three teams that got chewed out of it in this gauntlet. Texas Tech. Honestly, they're looking like a break from the gauntlet at this point. I, mean, I am not impressed with what they're doing at all. I mean, they got to figure things out very quickly, in my estimation. My player of the week, Trace Jackson Davis over at Indiana. Two 30-plus point performances in a very important 2-0 week for the Hoosiers. They needed this one really bad. Uh, but for Jackson Davis, 31-15 and with four assists on Sunday today against Michigan State. Uh, and then Thursday, Illinois was 35-9 and to go with five assists. He is really going back to the kind of player that Indiana is so desperately needing uh, at this point in the season. And obviously, the injury problems, they are getting some people back. I think it was Race Thompson who returned today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, or, or, some, or maybe not him, but he actually did play four minutes. So kind of got some minutes back for him, which is good to see. But... You get some more work from him. Trey Galloway also had 17 in this game. Tamar Bates at 17. Trace Jackson Davis, he is the star. He deserves the recognition this week. But it looks like Indiana might be really going back to something special here, Nick. Yep, in my uh, my player of the week, I'm going to be going with Jalen Wilson. Um, talked a little bit about that Kansas-Kansas State game where he put up 38 points, 9 rebounds, a couple of blocks, I mean, just such a great performance from him in that one. Um, obviously, they lost an OT, and then he followed it up with another performance against TCU where he put up 30 points. He hit four threes in that one, uh, seven rebounds. The only faults that I see out of this week from him is the fact that Kansas did lose both of these games. But the way that he's been performing, I, I can't put any of this blame on Jalen Wilson. I mean, he's just been playing out of his mind. He's been, it's two 30-plus performances, almost a 40-piece uh, against Kansas State, and they've been efficient performances as well. I, I'm absolutely loving what I've been seeing from Jalen Wilson, um, and 
those two losses were the first couple in a long, long stretch. So those are the first back-to-back losses for them. Their second and third losses on the season, first since November. Um, a down week for Kansas, but it's been really, really great for Jalen Willis. And I think if they can kind of um, get their offense outside of him back up and running, um, Kansas is going to have a great, great stretch um, coming up. And Jalen Wilson just absolutely on a tear this week. Yeah, and I have to also shout out Antoine Davis, now second all-time in the Division One scoring list, now the career three-point record holder. I think he got that last Saturday. We're going to have to shout him out. He has been so prolific at a school like Detroit Mercy, which within the Horizon League still hasn't really done much as a team to really garner any contention. But him individually, he has been fantastic, and he deserves a lot of recognition for that. Speaking of the Horizon League, by mid-major of the week, Milwaukee. A 2-0 week for them, home wins against Robert Morris, and a win going away against Youngstown State. And they're now 8-2 in the Horizon League. They now set up a major showdown on Saturday against Northern Kentucky. We are now the two top teams in the Horizon League at 8-2. and two. Milwaukee won the last being at home, so a team in the Horizon League getting their business done, doing it very, very crucially. And I think I kind of know where you're going, but I kind of want to mix it up this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just hard with my pick, of course, uh, Charleston. It's hard not to pick them. I mean, just been one of the best teams, if not the best team in mid-major basketball. I mean, you see them up on the AP ranks. Um, and two road wins for them. Um, in this last week, uh, in two blowout road wins. I mean, these are the games that you have to win. Um, but, if, I mean, if you look at the probability of these wins, these are uh, closer, you know, these are games that they are supposed to win, and that's not something you have been seeing from these top 25 teams um, as of recently. They've been kind of um, not performing in these in these games that should be a solid win and that's really what separates Charleston for me it's consistency blowout wins on the road against teams that they should beat. yeah FAU did the same thing three road <laughs> games this week and they pretty much took care of business every time and both Charleston and for Atlantic they are really good <laughs> They are really good. They are turning in the at-large candidates uh, of their respective leagues and of mid-major basketball altogether. And what they've done, both of those programs, especially Florida Atlantic. We talked a lot about them in our mid-major show as a team that they had brought everyone back. They had a breakout year the year before, a team to really watch out for. I don't think anyone would have expected to put FAU, for me personally, this week in the top 20 in the country. I would not have expected that. And they're still doing so well in the net. Top 20 there, too. For a mid-major team to be in late January, in the top 20 in net, it is unbelievably impressive. I mean, you, I mean, you have teams like your Sam Houston to the world who start off really well in net, but eventually slide down, slowly down the net ranking. FAU, they've done it to a certain extent, but they're still in the top 20. And it's unreal what those two programs have done, particularly FAU, they deserve all the respect from every national pundit imaginable because what they're doing, it is so hard to do at the mid-major level, especially when you have so much pressure to keep winning because all it takes is one loss. And your at-large chances diminish, if not disappear in some cases. And they've built a good enough record to where it'll diminish if they lose. Uh, but certainly not disappeared at this point. I mean, they have done an unbelievable job. Let's move on to our show. The return of Bubble Watch. Uh, pro folks from last year know the uh, Weekly 7 looking at some of the bubble teams across the country. 
Uh, this week, the theme is teams who, in the bracket matrix, for those of you who are returning fans, but the, uh, for us who are new fans, the compilation of all kinds of bracketologies. Today, it's 79. That's the magic number we're looking at. 79 bracketologies. Um, and they put them all together. Bracket matrix picks out a composite, and that's their projected field. And we love to use that because we love composites. We love everyone's opinions. And that's kind of the way we've gone with this. Uh, so we're looking at a few teams who are right now projected in. And we're going to start with our home school here at Blaze Radio, at the Walter Clark High School of Journalism and Mass Communication in downtown Phoenix. That is Arizona State. The loss to UCLA Thursday. The loss to USC on Saturday. They are now the first 10 seed in the Matrix. They dropped to 54th in net. They're at 15 and 5, 3 and 2 in both Q1 and Q2 in each. And they still have that Q4 loss they're battling against Texas Southern. And the, and the question we're going to ask every time do you trust them to continue their trajectory of being in the projected field? I mean, I believe so. This is a, a Pac-12 conference uh, where you have you you have your U of A and you have your UCLA. But outside of that, it's it's these kind of around the around the middle of the the pack in terms of the hundreds in the net teams like Arizona State, like Oregon, like USC. And with those games, you really don't know what to expect. They could be quadrant one or two depending on the home court. Um, but this is a winnable rest of their um their slate really they have four more quadrant one one games five more quadrant two and i i I think that as of right now this is still a a decently reliable team to make march madness obviously how they played the last last week um i don't expect them to do much but in terms of making it I, i i believe that this is a team that you can pretty much bank on getting that that third pac 12 bid I disagree. I honestly disagree. At 15-5, and five, the Q4 loss they're still battling. This is not as certain as the bracketologists make it out to seem. This isn't. I hate to break that to you. It's not. And it's simply because of this. You have the next three weeks, I think, are the most crucial. The road games in Washington, the home games against the Oregon schools, and you go to the Bay Area with Stanford and Cal. You really need to watch Stanford. They are bubbling on making that a Q3 game. 125th, still in Q2. A lot of work needed there. I think it's a, it's a 135, not mistaken, the mark there. But here's what needs to happen. I don't mind if you split at Washington. I don't mind. You must win the home games against Oregon. And honestly, you need to win the Bay Area games, both of them. That's that's the 5-1 you need. You cannot lose against Oregon State. You cannot lose against California. If they lose any one of those schools... Not only will it be a huge upset, but their at-large chances, quite frankly, disappear. You cannot take a second Q4 loss. Period. End of the story. And if you go anything worse than 4-2, and two, you might have to win the last three games of the year consecutively. At Arizona, at UCLA, at USC. That's not going to happen. They may get one at USC, but with how the Sun Devils play at home against the Trojans, I cannot trust that happening. I'm going into the mindset of them losing the last three games of the year. It's it's a really bad thing to doubt this ASU team because we know what happens when people start downing them. They have a great chip on their shoulder, and they play really well together. But let's just say they lose that last three. three, They'll be 3-5 and in Q1. That'll make that game at Pullman a must-win game to get to that fourth Q1 win. 
So we're dealing with eight losses there. We're dealing with the win there. Put him four and five in Q1. There's no bargain for you after that. You got to rack up Q2 games. I mean, if they go to the Pac-12 tournament with 10 losses overall, they are really putting themselves in a bad spot. And they need to recognize that. And I do not expect another bad defensive game like they did against the Trojans on Saturday. But if it happens at a really bad time, we will be seeing an issue in the NIT. I am almost guaranteeing that. This is not as sure as people make it out to be. Surely it's not as sure as the Matrix makes it out to be right now. I don't th in my opinion, I don't think uh, at all. Let's pick up the pace a little bit here with Oklahoma. Uh, it was a close loss against Baylor to them on Saturday. The Matrix has them in a really precarious spot. That's one of the final teams in the field, the last team in the field. Uh, they are 57th and net at 11 and 8. 3 and 6 in that first quadrant. Uh, a 2-2 two two record in the second quadrant. No losses in the bottom two quadrants. How much are we willing to trust the Sooners? Because of them being in the Big 12 and, you know, how many bids that, that conference uh, is, is bound to get, I believe you can have some sort of reliance um, of them making that. Uh, making March. Obviously, the Big, Big 12, you have your top teams. You have your Kansas State, your Texas is Kansas TCU Baylor. I mean, it's it's such a a top heavy um, uh, conference that if Oklahoma if they make six six bids, I think it's going to be between them and oof. It, would it be Iowa State to drop down there or Oklahoma State? I I think depending. Okay, all right, hold on. Let me run it back just a little bit here. I think that they can make the make March. But looking at their how many quadrant one wins that they have to get as they're three and six right now, it is not likely just based on their strength of schedule. Now, yes, they are in the Big Twelve where they are going to get a lot of bids, but um, however, it's such a tough schedule for them coming up that I don't think that they'll be able to to kind of bunker down and take care of the business that they want to be able to take care of. Yeah, they're I, they're gonna win a game or two. Uh, within this Dick Chubb schedule, when I say a game or two, they may pick up a, a game like here and then a win there and a win there. If they even pick up four of those, and and if they're all in the first quadrant, I don't think they all those wins will be. They pick up going for the rest of the way. You're looking at a team of seven Q1s. It's going to be really hard, no matter where the Sooners team is in the net, to leave them out. With that being said, though, you have to consider the overall record. And for that reason, I do not trust the Sooners team to get that job done. They're going to have to really balance it out. Uh, but if they stay the course, if they just split the weeks, just find a way to manage the course, it's going to be really difficult to keep them out. But for right now, excuse me, I do not trust them. I, I really don't. I think they're one of those teams that gets just chewed out of the gauntlet. How about a team staying in the... Big 12 like West Virginia. Uh, that home loss they took to Texas on Saturday. Uh, they're also a team which the Matrix puts in a very precarious spot uh, within that last four in category. Uh, but they are a much better team than net at number 30. West Virginia for clarification within the final four teams in. Uh, like I said earlier, that's the, the Sunday update. 30th in net, 11 and 8. Three Nates in that first quadrant. No quadrant, two games, but they're 8 0 in those bottom two quadrants. 
Uh, where are we sitting with the West Virginia Mountaineers? I see a lot of potential out of this school just because of um, how analytically they've been strong. Um, the one question has been their 3-8 and eight, uh, record in, in their Quadrant 1 games. They've been pretty cold so far in their... Um, in their their conference game so far, of course, it being the Big Twelve, they're they're seeing a one in six, I believe. Yeah, one in six so far, and that's just going to have to turn around. I mean, you're getting a couple quadrant two games coming up, which you haven't had yet, and then nine quadrant ones. But if they can sort of figure out how to turn this this momentum around, like they have been with that big win against TCU earlier on in the week, it's it's plausible for West Virginia. Obviously, you know, analytically, they're a lot more favored than they are than it looks like on the court. Um, but they have these great opportunities coming up um, where I think that they can get that momentum coming back. Um, their next game is going into Texas Tech, which has been a, a team that's been struggling. Um, and I think they can figure out how to bounce back um, from this 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 bad conference start. Um, and I think that they can make one of these bids. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different for West Virginia because of how highly regarded they are analytically, in my opinion. If there's a team that's going to get in with a really shaky overall record, I'm talking two, three games above 500, it's West Virginia because of the analytics. Very different for them compared to Oklahoma because of how well regarded they are in that net. Uh, but certainly an opportunity for the Mountaineers. Uh, I think they are a little bit more talented uh, that Oklahoma to where I do trust in to pick up a few more Big 12 games and really keep that up for them. Um, final team I'll do real quickly, uh, Memphis. Um, they are within the, they are one of those teams who they did play a Sunday game, but they won that game 15 and five right now. Uh, still within that last four buys category in the American, but quite frankly, within the American. I think Memphis are going to continue picking up wins, and that's very crucial for the Tigers. Um, I, I, I do see the trustworthiness of the Tigers right now, and but th but that being said, they can't afford to take a lot of losses. Man, they are going to be treated like a team from the American, uh, and what that means is you have six Q3s to deal with, a couple of Q4s to deal with. You do not have a lot of opportunities left. And the, and the two Q1s are both your beating something against Houston. That's a really bad sign. Um, they need to take one of those, in my opinion. Uh, but if they lose the bad ones, they are going to be in a really bad spot. Because, I mean, if they take two Q3 losses, they're in huge trouble. And they have got to recognize that. Let's close out the show with some game picks. Haven't done this in a while, but again, we're back live on the air, so we're going to do everything we can to get this right back to where we were. And we have a huge challenge coming up this week, uh, the SEC Big 12 Challenge. We're going to focus there for you there, Nick. And we're going to do the confidence system that we do with the Gamma Games and the ACC Big 10 Challenge earlier on in the year. I've kind of filled mine up. You can kind of fill yours that really as you go. Um, and we're going to make this real quick. Uh, for me, I see this as a 6-4 to four edge to the SEC. I think the matchup is favored the conference a little bit more. Alabama over Oklahoma. Oh, God, absolutely. I have them as maximum conference because, I mean, everyone Alabama's face, they've wrecked. I expect that to be no different there. Uh, Kansas State at home against Florida. Absolutely think the Wildcats should take care of business there. Uh, then TCU going to Mississippi State. That should be good business for the Horned Frogs to handle. The Bulldogs have really fallen off since their undefeated start. Drake really broke them. Oklahoma State at home against Ole Miss. I think they'll get the job done. The Cowboys. 
I'm on board with Baylor over Arkansas and home for six confidence points. Could be a little bit higher even as Arkansas, they have really fallen off. And they have really got to get back to winning ways. Just will not be against the Baylor Bears. Auburn going to Morgantown. This will be a really tough road trip for Auburn. But I do think the Tigers get the job done. Uh, I am on board with Kansas over Kentucky for four confidence points. I really do think that Kentucky has a lot to work on, but it's going to be really tough for the Jayhawks and Rupp Arena, I think. That might be closer than some people think. I think Kentucky is getting momentum at the right time. It will not be enough, though, to take care of the Jayhawks, in my opinion, but you never know. The Wildcats have pulled off one big upset. They might just go for another. Speaking of the Tennessee Volunteers, for three confidence points, I have the Volunteers at home over the Longhorns. Texas Tech going into Louisiana, getting the win for LSU for two confidence points. Really tough game to predict that one there. Both those teams, not that great. Uh, Texas Tech will be the bottom team in the conference right now, but I do think the Red Raiders get that one done. And then Missouri over Iowa State with just the one confidence point. It is a really tough game to predict. Both those teams, very solid. I'm going to go with the upset, the home win. As we've seen time and time again, it's really hard to win on the road. And I think Missouri, as long as they have an electrifying atmosphere, I think they'll make things tough for Iowa State. So the game that I'm most uh, confident about here is Alabama taking down Oklahoma. I mean, Alabama, one of the best teams of the country. Um, that one I'm very sure about. Um, then Kansas um, taking it home or going into Kentucky. I'm very confident about that game. Um, I, I think by that by that point, um, Kansas is turning around. Um, with you know Jalen Wilson, of course, helming their team. Um, then I'm I'm also very confident about Kansas State taking down Florida. Uh, after that, TCU uh, going into Mississippi Mississippi State or yeah Mississippi State for the win. Um, but I actually have Texas Day taking down Tennessee here with uh, you know it's it's hard to call it an upset. Obviously, I think Tennessee is the better team out of these two, um, but. Tennessee at home. I, I feel like Texas can sort of rise to this occasion. Um, then after that, I have West Virginia um, taking down Auburn. Auburn is such a great team, but West Virginia at home. Uh, I, I have confidence in that. Iowa State, I, I, I'm decently confident that they can take down Missouri. Missouri is obviously a good school, but Iowa State has won some very big games. Then I have Oklahoma State taking down Ole Miss. Um, Baylor with that win against Arkansas, I'm of course Arkansas is a little bit um, a little dinged up, but I, I'm still not very confident in this Baylor team. They've been on a little bit of a stretch here, um, but they did not start off this recent uh, stretch very well. Um, and then to round that out, I'm going to take LSU over Texas Tech at home. Yeah, and wish you had a little more time to kind of explain our differences there. But, I mean, you're very, it seems like you're very, but then the confidence system in the challenge, you're very confident in Texas going to Knoxville. That's what I'm very curious about. Um, certainly think it'll be a tough environment uh, there. I mean, if Rodney Perry can win the Longhorns to win there, I think that's going to be really ultra impressive there. Uh, certainly, and you certainly do make a good case about Missouri. I think Missouri, the wins they've had as of late, have kind of been against struggling teams, uh, but that is certainly one to watch. I think Missouri gets that one. They'll be right back on track as far as that's concerned. There, and you're very confident about Kansas. I'm curious from the next minute we have to hear a little more on your confidence about Kansas going to Lexington and getting that one. I mean, I keep talking about how much I think Jalen Wilson is the best player in the country. Um, and, you know, he took a, a – him and Kansas took a couple L's last week. Um, to TCU and Kansas State, but in terms of that team, um, 
facing these out-of-conference schools, um, I, I think Kansas can sort of turn it around and maybe catch, um, catch them off guard um, in, in terms of shocking uh, uh, Kentucky in that one. Kentucky's been a little bit uh, up and down this season. You've seen sort of struggles from them. Um, specifically with, you know, how does Seaway fit in their system? Some games it seems like they have it sort of figured out. Some games it seems like they're not getting them the ball enough. Um, and that sort of inconsistency um, is really what leads me to believe that Kansas, I really think that they can take this one home. Yeah, very interesting stuff there. We're out of time on this show, though on Wednesday morning, your preferred podcast platforms, you'll hear a half hour more of content. We're talking about three major log jams in January for double buys in conference tournaments in the Big Ten, the ACC, in the Atlantic 10 also. So there'll be a lot of good conversation there on those three conferences on Wednesday morning on your preferred podcast platforms. For our live listeners on BlazeFreddyOnline.com, make sure you still tune in for the rest of the night as Hayden Larkin will take you through some good tunes for the next half hour. And then it's college baseball specialty show here on Blaze. Road to Omaha with Ryan Blake, Jaden Taylor, and Blake Neiman. Really looking forward to listening to them for a half hour. And then Ben Paris takes you through some Pixar tunes on Pixar with Paris. That is the next several hours, so the next couple hours after us here on Blaze Radio. For Nick Keneally, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Our guest producer this week, Aaron Gonzalez and Kenji Tim there as well. They have one shiny melon queued up for you right now for our live listeners. Have a very good week, everyone.